glad to have you joining us again as we continue to get direction as God's children by looking at 1 John. And we do it through discuss, discussion as we speak these things to each other, have the conversation. Today we get to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 14. And we're going to see as God speaks here, it's not anything necessarily new that he hasn't spoken before in his word, but how we apply it in our particular cases and situations. And we're going to be looking at what blindness of hate does. And then also seeing, too, that when God speaks to us, as John writes, why is he writing to us? And it shows a way in the way he addresses us. We read from 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so as we look at these words again, we're reminded of what we talked about last time, as we see this idea of light and darkness showing itself, maybe an old topic that is now being applied in a new way. Really, the idea of hate and love is spoken throughout Scripture. But here we look at, specifically, zooming in on this idea of darkness of hate. And what it means, and maybe that's the question right there, what it means that hate blinds. When I think of hate blinding, I think of what it looks like when you have that relationship with someone and how you perceive them. It's almost as if everything they do, no matter what their intent, no matter what it is, is automatic, automatically gets processed through that lens of hate. Um, it could be, you know, something that they, they just happen to do. You know, they just say hi. And immediately, it's like thinking, why did they say hi to me? Like, are they, are they trying to do this um, to, to create spite in me? They know we're not getting along, and they're saying hi because they, they want to get under my skin. And it's just those little things, but it's everything. And I think that speaks to what's so dangerous about hate is how consuming it is it becomes like this, this inner rage and it becomes something that we're thinking about it all the time um, and it's just directed towards that person in every way. And, not, and it, it's something that blinds us. Nothing that that person can do, nothing, no attempt that they can make to try to fix this relationship can be seen in, in a good way. But instead it's just everything is processed through that, that hatred. It blinds us. Um, it, it creates this... Um, consuming hatred 
and I think that it it's just dangerous because it, it removes it just becomes like this this instinct almost you think of it this way too hate is blind because it doesn't have an open mind anymore <laughs> that it when you say if you're in the darkness it's darkened your perception of this individual that as you said everything they do is something against you it's darkened your mind that you're you're thinking about this individual more than they probably are even thinking of you and it's just it's dark in that it just keeps compiling sin there too as hatred itself is sin but then it's just every single interaction you have it's another incident of sin it's just a sludge pile of it starts with that hate or that hatred and then it just all of these other things just get piled on top of it gossiping jealousy anger hate like it just goes on and on and on it, you know maybe it's helpful the word hatred you think of that we know what it is we felt it in our hearts before but it's a bit abstract concept can you think of some examples where we'd see maybe this blindness of hatred showing up um I think that sometimes when, I, I guess an example of, that comes to my mind with, with the way that hatred can work is, like maybe it's, it's a family kind of hatred. And so it's like this, this family and you don't get along with them. And there's someone in that family that you've had little to no interaction with. And, you know, they, they are coming to your house or something to, to drop something off. And, you know, it's, it's something simple. It's, you know, they, they knock on the door instead of ring the doorbell. And that, that hatred, I think, lends to, here's this person that you have known nothing about, but you have this hatred that is towards their family. And normally, if anyone else comes to that door, it doesn't matter if they knock or yell or ring the doorbell. But because it's that person you immediately think that because they knocked instead of rung the doorbell, that they're doing that to try to get to you. So that's the kind of thing that I think of. And what gets me too in that, the blindness of hatred there is, in some cases it can even be that that individual is actually trying to do you good. Mm -hmm. Maybe they came and they knocked instead of ringing the doorbell because they thought maybe a young child was napping. Right. And they didn't want to potentially wake them up. But it, it, the hate and the blindness of, perceives it how dare they knock? Right, right. And it's just not thinking, like, it's not giving, it's the opposite of uh, giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's, it's the opposite of taking everything in everyone's words in the kindest possible way. It's the complete opposite of that. Instead, taking everyone's words in the worst possible way. It's always assuming the worst. And it's just completely flipping that into that, in worst case scenario all the time. It's one of those things that I try to think of examples of just through experience and, and through seeing others. And it's sometimes this hatred can come at the closest relationships. Mm. The ones that you've had the closest relationship, all of a sudden those have now been twisted. Because it can be easy when you don't have a lot of contact with someone. Okay, you're not going to build the hatred with, for them. But all of a sudden something in a relationship that you have, a lot of interaction, you are working with them a lot, you're just around them a lot, that's where the hatred can really build, and there it gets especially blind. I mean, to me, maybe one example, it's, it can happen in marriage. Mm -hmm. That all of a sudden, this 
blindness of hatred comes. And it's, you know, as it happens in a marriage, well, one spouse, no matter what the other spouse does, it's all bad. It's all out to get them. Well, that probably isn't true. doesn't mean that there isn't sin happening in the marriage, but that's the blindness of hatred. You're resentful of that individual. And so, really, it's your sin there. I think that's a, that's a great example of those close connections in way that, ways that closeness can factor into hatred. I think about it the opposite way, too, in terms of like far away. And I think this is something that can happen with race and culture where we don't, you don't really know someone, but it's all just based on the rumors that you've heard. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be race or culture, but it could just be someone that is better known to others. And all you've heard is things about them. And so those things, because you don't know them at all, because you have no relationship with them and you've just heard these things passed on, that there's that blindness too, that you don't know them and you're unwilling to have that personal relationship with them. Um, I've heard this in conversations with different people where it's just, you know, talking about they or them. And it's, you know, it's a neighbor that they've never met. It's someone of um, a different ethnicity that they've had very little, they have never had interaction with that person, but they may have had an interaction with someone of that ethnicity before. So I think like all of those, that's the opposite end of that, of like no interaction can also breed that hatred. Yeah, and then you, all of a sudden it's you're operating not really on individual truth of those people. It's just what you've heard, what, and you've built up some false idea. Once again, that gets to the idea of darkness and lies mm -hmm. connected there. And then maybe it's, you know, this is an issue, hatred. It's an issue we deal with as you bring out in a broad scheme. It's an issue we deal with very much individually with people who are close. So how do we deal with it? And the suggestion that, that John gives to us is one that you hear it, um, anyone who loves his brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So love, love them. But you hear that, and it's, it's one of those things that it screams out, love them. Um, the Bible makes it very plain here. When I hear those words, it's, it's so simple that that creates a little bit of a problem sometimes. And I think also just the idea that this seems to be just the the easy response is love them, love them. And I think like to try to eliminate it as a catchphrase, but to still realize, yeah, this, this is really the solution. It's that simple. Um, but instead, to, but also to think of what does it mean to love them? What does that love look like? And I think that's maybe where that the impact can come from is how do we love? Um, how do we love then rather than hate? And that, I think, is where it can become difficult to think, okay, how do we love? Because I think what makes it difficult is, yes, there, there, are, there's like a, there are certain things that are just loving, but at the same time, that's asking for a lot of, um, of individual care. You talked about marriages before, and you have to do a lot of understanding your spouse to be able to say, this is how I need to love my spouse. And the same with all of those other relationships that we, we shared. Because it's not just people. It's not just, um, you know, this broad general sense. But it's 
trying to find out how to love that person. And that's hard uh, because it requires us to ask, to listen, to be understanding. And I think a lot of times to then experience hatred in order to love someone else. And all of those things, it, it becomes a lot. It is just love. It's simple. But then to, to play it out as, but it's finding out how those people need to be loved. And I think one of the things, though, that is comforting is to know that ultimately we know the best way that we can love, which is to share this gospel, to share that love of Christ. Um, and that's the best thing that we can do. But I think sometimes it's also asking, how do we reflect that love? How do we get that opportunity to share that? And I think, too, building off of what John has, we've looked at for last time, is the recognition there, maybe you have to ask that question, why is there hate? What's caused this hate? And to recognize, well, it's because there's been darkness in some way. And some of that love, too, is looking and realizing you aren't faultless, necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, there could be a situation. But probably not if you're hating the individual. And I would even go so far as to say that even if you, even if you are faultless in a sense, it kind of goes back to asking that question, am I like, loving in every way possible? Um, and you it, it you becomes, may be faultless in that you didn't do anything, but not necessarily faultless in that of showing the free love mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, okay, you look in at the situation and recognize, all right, there's, there's hate here. And part of that love then is recognizing, all right, I need to admit my sin. I need to confess. This hatred in this relationship, I am part of the problem. And it, John makes it very plain that, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Um, so it, it makes it plain like that this is what that is, which I think is, is important to label it w- for what it is. And so it's trying to seek to then, okay, how do you reconcile this hatred? Maybe one of the first steps is as you just freely admitting and recognizing your own sin and coming in repentance, even to that individual. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes true repentance, I think, and true seeking for forgiveness and understanding can be sort of easy to go to someone and say, I'm sorry. But, you know, that question, what are you sorry for, is one that, you know, we, we say that to children. We don't necessarily expect to say that to adults or to um, those that are a little bit older. But it really does become, that is, again, that listening and that love, that it's not just, I'm sorry that you're mad at me, but I recognize that, yes, I did this thing that harmed or hurt you in some way. Um, and to try to understand that from their perspective. I think that's where you're starting to, um, starting to build on what that love looks like. It's one of those things, too, that as you're doing it, you see John here is giving this warning about hatred. It's an issue. It was issue when he was writing. It's an issue. Now it's always been an issue. This is not a new command, but an old one. You think even way back, you saw it displayed with Cain and Abel. Um, but... How he does that, too, as far as that encouraging, leading into that conversation, I think is very interesting. It's very encouraging for us, very instructive for us. To how he then speaks to us with the rest of these words here. After he's been addressing this issue of hate, what does he say? He turns and says why he's writing. And this part it is just awesome. The first time that 
I read it, I you look at it and the way that it's printed there, it it's like a poem or, or something along those lines. And when you read it, I guess I was looking at why, okay, the children, the fathers, the young men, why are they receiving this encouragement? And like the first time that I read it, it I very much looked at it from how I think I would phrase something following this advice, which would be to then kind of give more advice. But then you realize after you read the words and you think about them, you pray about them, you realize, no, it's not like this, okay, you're doing bad at this, so now this. Instead, it is just this complete and utter encouragement. And it comes through just in all of the things that are there. It's not a to-do list of what they are supposed to be doing. It's not a um, dear children, you know, you struggle with this, so I'm going to give you this. It is instead just God has done these things for you. And that's just beautiful encouragement that is thoroughly repeated throughout. How powerful when you appeal, when you approach because of what the relationship is, not because of what the problem is. And that's what John is doing. I mean, what a lesson it is for us to learn in our conversations a lesson, approach because of forgiveness that God has given us. That's what's going to change hearts. It's God's love, his grace. And so that's what leads us in our conversations. Um, I, and they just, they just keep coming because you know him who is from the beginning, that pleasure of knowing God um, because you have overcome the evil one. Um, these are, and notice it's happened. It, it's something that, that has taken place and the comfort that's there. It's, it's not something, as you said, not something you have to do. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the confidence even in that. You have overcome. I'm not coming and saying, all right, hatred is a problem. You need to work on this. And I don't even know if you're going to be able to do it. But if you I, do this, maybe you'll overcome. And yet, you, honestly, this relationship is a lost cause. No. You have overcome the evil one because, because who are you? You are dear children. Children because you know the Father, the Father's children. And it just keeps, it just keeps going, just pouring out just all these, because you are strong. The Word of God lives in you. You have overcome the evil one again. Certain things. So now, how do we do that in our own conversations? How do we lead with the relationship? Not to say, okay, we need to fix this problem, but to build up our relationships with one another because of who we are. I think it tells us who we, who we focus on more that, and what we focus on. It's focusing on Christ and what, what he's doing. And it's not just doing that in our hearts, but it's, again, talking about it. It's making people aware of that in regular conversation. I think about that just in terms of pretty much any conversation that you have where, um, where there is correction that's necessary and how easy it is to just focus in on the correction. But instead here, it, you see almost the opposite of it. And it's just this, this um, I, it kind of reworks maybe how we, how we talk and think about situations is just this, we can always be pointing to Christ um, and the things that he has done. And that that is a way that it empowers. The gospel empowers. And that's something to not lose sight of. 
that this is that that power of the gospel is there in regular conversations. I don't need to just say, okay, I'm going to read to you from my Bible, but instead it's it's recognizing that we can talk about these these blessings of God. And it's something that I don't think we're used to doing too much. No. And that's maybe maybe that probably the tension we feel with it because it's just not something that's part of our normal speech. Mm-hmm. But to, you know, we brought the example of a marriage before to approach and even just a simple thing, I, I, you're, you're my spouse and I love you. And so that's why I want to talk to you about this. You're, you're, not, you're, you're my spouse and I, I love you. You're a child of God. That's also why I want to talk to you about this. I'll talk about this problem we're having. Because it's not just your problem, it's my problem too. Mm-hmm. And that is thinking of previous episodes, stepping away from that, that hypocrisy. And it shows itself in that, to identify something not as your problem, but as our problem. I think that's a, a powerful thing that, that you see here. And with the statement that you just made, you, you see that too linked back to, um, to that the power of, of the gospel and power of um, God's relationship with us. It's interesting, too, as he writes, he writes in some ways addressing dear children, but then also he kind of focuses on fathers and young men, too. I mean, what kind of guidance cause that, can that give to you know, the, the men to step up? The, I think it is this this reminder of that, that role that God has given to men and to fathers of, of headship, of leadership, and recognizing, too, God empowering them to do those things. Um, I think that it, it is a, an important thing to see that that's how, these, um, that's how the family unit is to function, that's how the, our society is to function. And it is this building up because you look at some of these things and so much of it, I think, speaks to those fears that men can have. And maybe what jumped up to my mind, too, is obviously it's not saying that this he's not addressing women. Dear children will cover all. Mm-hmm. But to think about some of these issues and realize, you know, maybe this is something, an issue here that men seem to struggle more with hatred. Mm. Maybe it's an issue that really that women generally are better at having these conversations and talking about these things sure. that we as men maybe struggle to, okay, and that encouragement, you are strong. The Word of God lives in you. Okay, talk about these things. Converse. Be who you are. God's given you that strength. Yeah. With, uh, with tying all of that together, just those relationships, that blindness of hate, will begin to wrap things up here then. Um, and uh, one of the things, again, that, that we want to do is we want to leave with these conversational thoughts, uh, places to take this conversation to. When I think of the, the blindness of hate, I think of people that in, in my life that I feel like, yeah, there, there is that blindness of hate that, that is going on. So my, my challenge for you uh, going forward uh, into this week is to try to have some of those conversations um, that, that maybe have 
been harmed by this blindness of hate and to work on overcoming that hatred. And when I think of those conversations, one of the biggest, um, I guess, equipment, equipping that, that the scripture does here is one to just to look and to acknowledge that this love is what God expects, what he wants for us, to be able to go back and to see the love that Christ has for us and to be able to practice that love with those around us. And more to be able to look at those reasons for writing um, and to be able to look and feel equipped knowing that I'm writing, that John, we can look at these and say, I am writing to you. And you can insert your name into those things and, and know that we know him who is from the beginning. Um, we have overcome the evil one. We know the Father. Um, we know him who is from the beginning. We are strong. The word of God lives in us. Those are things that, that we can look at to equip us uh, to be able to have that, that difficult conversation that may be blinded by hatred, uh, to look at those relationships and to try to start to make steps towards um, fighting that, that blindness of hatred, whether it's with a spouse, a neighbor, a family member, whoever it may be, uh, to, to try to walk in that light, to try to live that, that, that commandment of love out in our own lives. Next time, we are going to look at a small section, verses 15 through 17, and we're going to talk about this idea of love for the world and the tension that we have as Christians with, um, with this world and maybe how to, to help understand the world and to be able to help understand our role in this world, um, to, to be able to look at what that warning really means um, and to help to apply it in our own lives. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for this conversation and blessings on keeping the conversation going.